Now if you'll turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. As you're turning there, just a little bit of the overview. The book of Galatians tells you how to get saved and then how to live after you've gotten saved. In the first four chapters, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear over and over again that a person gets saved only by putting their faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross for them. And nothing more, nothing else. It is not Christ plus something you do, or Christ plus some religion or some church, or some sacrament that you might do, such as baptism or whatever, that saves you. It is you placing your faith in Christ and trusting Him alone to save you. And we're going to look at just one example. Paul has several in the first four chapters, but look with me at Galatians 2.16. Galatians 2.16. There Paul writes, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law... But through faith in Christ Jesus, even we, and the we means this Jew named Paul that got saved and the other Jews that got saved, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Let me just say this. The law of God demands perfection. He says even if you did that, you couldn't be saved, okay? But nobody obviously could do that. And Paul hammers that foundational truth home again and again in chapters 3 and 4. And we've been over that, so we're not going to do that again. But once you've gotten saved, once you've settled that you only get saved by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and His atonement for you on that cross, and you've asked Him to come into your heart, you place your faith in Him, now you need to learn how to live your new Christian life, and that's what Paul takes up in chapters 5 and 6. I've shared with you that many Bible scholars think Galatians 5.1 is the, the key verse, if you please, of the whole book. And I've mentioned to you that I call it my bridge verse, because what the first part is, you're on this side over here, and this talks about God justifying you, that is, declaring you righteousness, righteous, and that's your position in Christ once he's done that, and then you cross over that bridge to the other side, and now this is your sanctification, living that life that he calls your practice. So over here is your position. You cross over the bridge to chapters 5 and 6 to your practice. We've uh, gone over that. Well, we come this morning to chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at the first five verses, and let me read them to you at this time. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. I've entitled this morning's message, God's call, God Called You to the Ministry of Restoration. God calls you to the ministry of restoration. 
Here's what God is saying to you in verse 1. Let me read it again. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. The first thing I'm going to share with you may be a surprise. Okay? At least I capture your attention this way. This may be a surprise. In your outline there... This text has nothing to do with Matthew 18 and church discipline. Surprise? It has nothing to do with Matthew 18 and church discipline. Invariably, when you look at the commentators, that's where they're going to take you. And I've looked at a number of them. And they get right into Matthew chapter 18. In other words, you see a brother or sister that is in some sin... And uh, you go to them because that's what the Bible says to do. So you go to them and you confront them. And uh, then if they do not repent and do not get right with the Lord, then you're supposed to go find uh, two or three other brothers and sisters. And you go back to them. And once again, you confront them about their sin. And if they refuse to repent at that time, you take it to the church. And I take it that means then the elders go. And they sit down with that person, and they confront them on that sin. And if they refuse at that point to repent, then you administer church discipline. I want to submit to you that I don't think that Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, have anything to do with that except maybe in a remote way. So we'll check that out. Don't lose sight of Paul's purpose for Galatians chapters 5 and 6 here, okay? He's instructing these Galatian Christians about how they are to live out their Christian lives. As we've seen, he is very concerned about them falling from grace. We've looked at that. By their listening to the Judaizers who had invaded their church and were teaching them that they not only had to receive Jesus Christ to be saved, but they also had to keep certain parts of the Mosaic Law. That's what they're teaching, and some of these people evidently were near to yielding to that. When they did that, if they did, they would no longer be abiding in Christ. You need to see that. That's what he says. They'd no longer be abiding in Christ. They had not lost their salvation, but they had cut themselves off from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Paul describes their Christian life condition by telling them that Christ will no longer be of any benefit to them in their living of this Christian life because they have fallen from grace. They're no longer walking in the sphere of grace, in other words. They hadn't lost their position in Christ. They have a permanent standing in grace, as we saw in Romans chapter 5, but they had definitely lost the Holy Spirit's power for living the victorious Christian life. Now that's the situation. That's the background. I suggested to you that Paul gave them two principles for living their Christian lives in chapter 5, but the only way they could ever live out those two principles was walking by the Spirit. And Paul states that twice. Look at chapter 5, verse 16. Chapter 5, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now drop down to verse 25, where he said, basically again, if we live by the Spirit, that means you got saved, you have not life in Christ, you have life in Christ. Now, let us also walk 
by the Spirit. Those two principles that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. So in chapter 5, your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. And the second principle, your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. That's amazing. But you can't pull those two off, off without the third principle. And that is your grace overcomes your flesh only when you walk by the Spirit. The other two you'll never pull off. I'll never pull it off unless I deal with the third one. And that is your grace overcomes your flesh only when you walk by the Spirit. What then is a problem? What's the trespass here in verse 1 of chapter 6 that Paul has in mind? From the context, it would appear to me that Paul is concerned about certain of these Galatian Christians who don't know how to walk by the Spirit. They understand that there's a battle going on. Don't misunderstand that. All Christians do. They understand there's a battle going on here inside of them with their flesh continually warring against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And by the way, in verse 17 of chapter 5, that Spirit is capitalized, but frankly, uh, that may not be the case. It may be your Spirit that's been made alive by the Holy Spirit, but uh, the uh, the textual uh, uh, folks, they, they made a cap less, so therefore you think of the Holy Spirit, and I suppose that's okay. But uh, the thing is, in verse 17, Paul goes on to say this about the flesh and the Spirit. These are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. You're not going to be able to pull this off, nor am I. And so he dealt with that. And these Galatian Christians understood this battle. And I dare say, everyone in this room is redeemed who's saved. You understand that battle too. You deal with it day in and day out, all the time. Okay? This brings us back to my first point, under you are to restore others there in the outline. This text, as I said, has nothing to do with Matthew 18 and church discipline, unless only by a remote way. Then what does it deal with? That's what I want to get to. Listen, some of these Galatian Christians desperately wanted to live this victorious Christian life that Paul described to them, and he lived out in their presence as well. But they didn't know how. They wanted to, but they just couldn't pull it off. They found themselves trying, 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 just like Paul at once had done. In fact, they could have written his testimony for their own testimony. And frankly, I think this is a testimony that many a Christian, and maybe you're here this morning, and it would be your testimony as well. Let me read it for you. It was Paul's former testimony. It was these Galatian Christians, some of their testimony. And I believe it's probably some of ours here. And turn back over to Romans chapter 7. We saw this a couple of weeks ago, but I need to read it again. Romans chapter 7. And verses 14 through 24 is what I want to read. For we know, Paul writes, that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing... I do not understand. That's some of these Galatian believers. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do. Remember I said uh, grace motivates you to obey the, the gospel, the word of God. But I'm doing the very thing I hate. 
But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Here's this flesh against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man. I mentioned to you, no unsaved person would ever say that. They wouldn't joyfully concur with the law of God, but a saved person would. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? That's what you're dealing with in Galatians chapter 6. And I believe probably that is a testimony of many uh, Christian as well today. These folks, listen, these folks had, had not fallen into some sin, some major sin. They had been led into believing that they had to try harder by keeping certain parts of the Mosaic law. And when they fell in that trap, they no longer were abiding in Christ. And the harder they tried to live the Christian life, the more miserable they failed. Understand? That's what was going on, I believe. I found Kenneth S. Weiss' exposition very helpful in getting an understanding of Galatians 6, 1. Listen to what he says. He writes in the latter chapter, chapter 5, two methods of determining conduct and following out that determination with the appropriate action are presented. One is in dependence upon the Holy Spirit for the supply of both the desire and the power to do the will of God. This method results in a life in which the fruit of the Spirit is evident. The other method is that of putting oneself under law and by self-effort attempting to obey that law. The results in a, it results in a defeated life full of sin, for the law gives neither the desire nor the power to obey it. And on the other hand, uses the evil nature as a means by which to bring sin into the life, since the evil nature is aroused to active rebellion by the very presence of the law. And these Galatians who were adopting the latter method in conformity to the teaching of the Judaizers, were finding that sin was creeping into their lives. Since they were most earnestly zealous of living a life of victory over sin and in conformity to the ethical teachings of the New Testament dispensation, the presence of sin in their lives was a source of surprise to them. O wretched man that I am, if you might put it there. Deprived, therefore, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the lives of the Galatians were an easy prey of the to the tempters of men's souls, and he was working havoc among them. End of quote. Yes, indeed, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death. And this brings a whole new meaning to Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5, because like these Galatian believers in Christ, this is a said where so many Christians find themselves today. Will someone please help me? Will someone come alongside of me and show me and teach me how to live the victorious Christian life? Will someone show me how to abide in Christ? While this great 
internal battle continues to wage its war in my soul. And by the way, I'll not quit until you're finally home. And that brings us to my next point. And under you are to restore others. God calls you then to be spiritual. God calls you to be spiritual. Verse 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. It should be clear that there's two groups of people Paul's talking about here in this verse. There are the spiritual ones, and then there are the ones that are caught in the trespass. This is where a lot of Christians will back off, and they do so for two reasons. The first reason, they're not sure that they would qualify as being a spiritual person. I guess a little bit of concern, a little bit of pride maybe there. But they're not sure that they qualify to be a spiritual person. And Paul is not talking here about spiritual perfection, sinless perfection. His description of a spiritual person is any Christian who is walking by the Spirit. That's a person who keeps close accounts with God and therefore confesses their sin as the Holy Spirit brings that up in your my life. And we say, you're right, that's sin. I confess it. I want to be in fellowship. It's one who knows he spends time or she spends time uh, in the Word of God. They daily seek to obey God's Word. And they are letting that word dwell in them richly. In other words, they're walking in fellowship with the Lord, their Savior, and the result of their doing so is they're experiencing the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let's look at that. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control against such there is no law. Listen, a new Christian, and some of these people in the Galatian region were new Christians. Paul hadn't been there years ago. It had been recent he had been there. They were new Christians, and they were to be spiritual people. It isn't how long you have been saved. Get that? It is not how long you've been saved. It isn't even how much Bible you know. A brand new Christian is to be a spiritual person walking by the Spirit because God provides that availability to you. That's why he commands it here. But many do not know how, and that's where you find who are spiritual come into this picture, and I would submit to you that this is the number one need of the church today. Would you agree with that? Number one need today. And because of that, Thirdly, God calls you to restore your caught brother. God calls you to restore your caught brother. I changed your outline here a little bit. I felt God calls you to restore your caught brother. Better express Paul's thought and command here, so you might have to change your outline just a little bit there. But in verse 1, that word caught, translated caught, in the New American Standard, in the King James, it's, it's translated overtaken, has the idea of coming upon the person unaware. This came upon the person unaware. They weren't deliberately plunging themselves into known sin. And the word translated trespass means to stumble. 
I kind of like what R.C.H. Linty says. It's like somebody driving a car and they know how to drive the car, but they hit some patch of ice and they end up in the ditch. And you come along and you see them, you don't drive by, you stop and you help them out of the ditch, whatever that takes. Kind of like that analogy there. Again, let me refer back to Ken Wiest. He writes, and listen to this, this is good. Here the apostle speaking of the case of a Christian who while desiring wholeheartedly to do the right, yet does the wrong because he is not availing himself of the God-appointed method of living the Christian life. Boy, how many people are in that category? Those Christians who had not abandoned their dependence upon the Holy Spirit now are asked by Paul to set those Galatians right who had been seized unaware by sin because they had deprived themselves of the ministry of the Spirit. The primary thing they needed to be set right about was not an act of sin. I want you to get that. They didn't need to be set right about an act of sin which they committed, but that they had wandered off the right road of grace and were stumbling in the quagmire of self-dependence and legalism. To set the sinning brother right with reference to his act of sin would be helpful, he goes on, but that would still leave him on the wrong road with the result that he would go on being surprised at the entrance of sin into his life. End of quote. Boy, I think that's good. That really, to me, gives new meaning to Galatians 6, 1 through 5. And pay close attention to how Paul says we're to restore such a struggling brother or sister. Paul emphasizes two things. We're to do this in the spirit of gentleness. Boy, does that sound familiar? That's Galatians 5 again, the Holy Spirit. And when you are walking by the Spirit, you have a gentle spirit as He leads you to help this brother or sister out of this quagmire here. He imparts that spirit of gentleness, and gentleness greatly ministers to that person you've been led by the Holy Spirit to help restore and once again abide in Christ and walk by the Spirit. And that word restore in the text there was used amending mending a net as well as resetting a bone that was broken or out of place. Now think about that for a minute. Let's say you're a fisherman back then, and you had this big seine for a net. And you go out into the Lake of Galilee, and you're throwing that thing out there, and you're bringing that in, and you're throwing it out there, and you're bringing it in. What's your goal? You want to catch fish, but your net has tears in it. How many fish are you going to catch? And that's how people are trying to live this Christian life. And that's why Paul says, you who are spiritual, and that can be a brand new Christian. You've got the joy of the Lord and you're walking by the Spirit. You need to come and help them to repair that net. Think about somebody with a dislocated soldier and ask them, come along and help you bear a load. That ain't going to work, folks. And that's another beautiful analogy there. But secondly, Paul admonishes us to look to ourselves, lest we too be tempted. In other words, always keep in mind how many times, even in a 24-hour period, you're in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. You're back in the flesh, in the Spirit, as you go with gentleness to help this brother or sister to get in the, walk by the Spirit here. So you are to restore others, but also you are to bear the burdens of others. This gets interesting. You are to bear the burdens of others. Verses 2 and 3, let me read them. 
bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You are to bear the burdens of others. Those burdens are described as being extremely heavy. I want you to see that in the, in the text. Those burdens they're bearing are extremely heavy burdens. The word burden describes a crushing load that one is unable to bear alone. And there are three reasons for such heavy burdens that you bear, that Christians bear. And I want to bring them out. The first reason is because of one's disposition they're born with. We're not all born with the same disposition. It would appear, for example, that Paul probably was born a highly disciplined person. But there are a whole lot of people, Christians, that are not highly disciplined. And there are many other aspects about one's disposition that can be brought up here. Some folk are very aggressive and intense, while others are very passive and very laid back. And all that factors in, in burdens that you and I bear. And some are heavy, so heavy that we, they're like a crushing load to us. The second reason Christians carry a very heavy burden is because of habits. Think about that one. Habits, maybe these habits are like a little strand of thread, and then another thread, and then another thread, and pretty soon you've got a strong cord, and you can't break it. And those might be habits, most of them, they may have been your old sin life before you ever got saved. And those habits are still there, folks. Now, sometimes God instantly takes them away. But often, as you know, that is not the case. And so you're battling these heavy burdens of habits. For example, for some people, every other word that ever came out of their mouth before they got saved was a swear word. And man, they still struggle with that, even being saved. Some were so involved with illicit sexual relations, and that can be from here all the way over to here. It can include pornography, and we could go on and on about that. And I mean, that's their old life. And man, you talk about a habit that they are trying to break and want to break. It might be a severe temper. That's back to that disposition aspect. It could be laziness. It might be addictions like tobacco or alcohol or drugs, and that list goes on. It is not that these Christians don't want deliverance. I want you to understand that. This is not a Matthew 18, you're a terrible person, you're in sin. These are people that long to get the victory, but they just don't know how. Now that you belong to Christ, the Holy Spirit keeps on convicting you of that certain bad habit or disposition trait in your life, you want to overcome it, but on your own, you can't. Did you hear that? On your own, you can't. Now God calls on those who are spiritual. And again, that could be a brand new Christian, one that's walking by the Spirit, in the Word, letting the Word dwell in them, keeping close accounts with God. He calls upon you to walk, come alongside of that person and help them carry that burden, that heavy load, and even help get that off their back. And you know what? To some extent, that just isn't happening in the churches. And so that dear brother is out there struggling, trying to live the victorious Christian life, and day in, day out, wondering, how does this thing work out? And living day after day in Romans chapter 7, that becomes their testimony.
First, by the way, if you have such a burden, you have to be willing to allow somebody to come alongside you. Some people are not even willing to do that, and that's a problem because of the pride that they struggle with and maybe the embarrassment of whatever it is that they're dealing with. And so there's that issue there. And uh, so by the way, God never designed Christianity to be a solo a religion or a way of life. You know that. You doing it on your own. But so many people, that's a, that independent spirit today, are trying to do that and failing miserably, by the way. But somebody comes along and, and they say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there for you. I'm going to pray with you. You can call me anytime, day or night. If you need me, I'm there. Maybe it's an issue of accountability that, look, you, if you're going to fall, write it down because I'm going to have you come back and you're going to tell me I fell and this is what happened. And hopefully you'll say that'll help me and I don't want to do that. So I'm going to try harder. It may be a, a support group. Church needs to do that. In this Galatians 6, 1 through 5 portion of Scripture here. By the way, this is the significance of Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. Look at that with me, if you would. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, but some do waver. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider, that's what we're doing this morning, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together. And by the way, one of the things I've seen in my 26 years of ministry here, when people leave the church and don't go somewhere else, the next thing you know, their kids are not in church either. The next thing, they're not marrying Christians. And the next thing, dad and mom are home wondering what we're going to do about our kids and grandkids. You, you, you can't drift. If you're not walking by the Spirit, dear ones, the devil has occasion. Don't give him that occasion. Stay faithful in the local assembly. So consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. My, how we need that. And all the day as you see the day drawing near. And boy, the things we're seeing in our world today and in our own state and nation it must be drawing near, and we need the encouragement of one another. That's why we're dealing with these type of messages here out of Galatians here. And there's a third reason, by the way, that people bear heavy burdens, and that really fits right in the text here of Galatians 6, and that is they get caught up in false doctrine, false teaching. And that's what happened to these Galatians, some of them. And then you come along with gentleness and try to help them see the error of that doctrinal way and the biblical right instead and get them on the right path again. But by the way, here's how the Lord looks at you, especially when you're weighted down with such a heavy burden. Matthew 12, verse 20, and this is a beautiful verse. This is Jesus. It is beautiful. Matthew 12, 20, there it says, A battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out. Most people would see that reed that's battered, it doesn't seem to be worth much anyway, and that uh, smoldering wick and say, it's useless, throw it out. But the Lord says, listen, I deeply am caring about you and love you, and I'll take you as a battered reed, as a smoldering wick, and I want to restore you. That's what he's talking about that. I want to deliver you. I want to make you a vessel of honor. So you are to bear the burdens of others. Those burdens are described as being extremely heavy, and you've seen re- three reasons why now. Disposition, habits, and false teaching that people get caught up in. But secondly, God calls you to fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 2. 
He calls you to fulfill the law of Christ, bear one another's burdens, so that you're under there helping them with this heavy burden, and that's what that is, a heavy burden, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That takes us back to Galatians 5, verse 14, by the way. Let me read that. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the verse 22 of chapter 5, again, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and it goes on there. Once again, it drives home that second principle I shared with you. Your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. That's what ministers, that sacrificial love. This is not you coming to a brother or sister being judgmental and condemning. This is you coming to them as the Lord Jesus Christ would come to them. It's you and me coming to them wearing, if you please, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And that ministers to people. That helps them to overcome this burden that they're in. But notice again the warning, verse 3. Yes, verse 3, the warning. Watch out for your pride. We are prideful people. Do you know that's why you have to die? You just can't get rid of that stinking pride, and neither can I. But God says, I'll get rid of it. When I take you home, that pride's gone. As I kill the old flesh once and for all there. Verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. By the way, this is the second time that Paul in the sixth chapter has cautioned us. He did in verse 1. And really, going back to chapter 5, it's the fourth time. <laughs> M.R. Han calls chapter 5, verse 15, Christ, the Christian cannibalism verse. I like that. So, Galatians 5.15 is your Christian cannibalism verse. It says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Yeah, that's Christian cannibalism, all right. Huh. Now drop down to verse 26 of Galatians 5. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. You see, there was a danger of those Galatian Christians who did not buy into the Judaizers' false teaching to look down on those who did, rather than come alongside them and help them deliver, be delivered out of that false teaching. That's why he says that. Paul calls us to constantly remind ourselves that we too are sinners who have been saved by God's grace and prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Amen? That's that battle of the flesh and the spirit that goes on and doesn't stop until God takes us home. Paul had to admonish the Corinthian believers in that church there. 1 Corinthians 10.12 Therefore let him who thinks he stands... Take heed that he does not fall. Listen, as hard as this is, and and boy, beware of this, don't ever go to another brother or sister in your pride. You will just do terrible destruction to that dear one's life. Don't go in your pride. Go in the power or by the Spirit in graciousness, gentleness, love. And then God can minister. Well, you are to bear with the burdens of others, but thirdly, you are to bear your own burden. Verses 4 and 5. You are to bear your own burden. Let me read verses 4 and 5. 
But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. And how do you do that? How do you bear your own burden? Well, God calls you to do daily spiritual self-examination. God calls you to do daily spiritual self-examination. Verse 4 says that, but each one must examine his own work. By the way, this is so important for our continuing to walk by the Spirit. If you're not doing this, you're not going to be walking by the Spirit. The whole flesh will just hop right in there, and that's, even though you're Christian and you're doing works and all this stuff, it'll be flesh. It will not be abiding in Christ. And verse 4 reminds me of David's cry in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, and I know you know that. Psalm 139, 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Through Paul, God commands us to examine ourselves and let the indwelling Holy Spirit show us whether or not we are walking by His leading and by His power or are we walking in our flesh. And secondly, this is how we also examine and evaluate our work. So we, we evaluate our walk and we evaluate our work. Your walk, your work. Your walk, your work. Paul states in verse 4, when we do this, allowing the Holy Spirit to search and examine us, examining our walk with Him, our work with Him, then He will have reason, you will, for boasting. Now that, you might, don't take that out of context. That's not a pride issue here. Really, maybe a better word would be rejoicing, although in the Greek it says boasting. You will have reason for boasting in regard to yourself alone and not in regard to another. In other words, your boasting won't be, I'm comparing myself with this person. Look how how great I'm doing. No. Your boasting or your rejoicing will be before the Lord that you know that you're doing what He wants you to do and He is blessing and using you and you're rejoicing in that. And by the way, Paul even did that. Let me give you an example of that. And uh, that's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 8 through 10 where he actually did a little bit of boasting. He did it in 2 Corinthians, by the way, 11 and 12. But here in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 8 through 10, And last of all, he says, As to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles, not fit to even be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the power of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. Here it comes. But I labored even more than all of them. I worked harder than all those other 11 or 12 apostles, he says. Huh. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So he's making or giving an honest evaluation, giving God the glory there. So God calls you to do daily spiritual self-examination. We ask ourselves then, am I right now walking by the Spirit? I love it on the highway. That's a beautiful way to find that out so quickly. You just have to ask who's driving the vehicle, you or the Lord. It's me when they get in front of me until I say, wait a minute, Lord, okay, you can drive, that's all right. Why am I in a hurry? My life is in your hands, my time is in your hands. Why don't I just go with you and enjoy you? What a difference it makes. And that's just a little thing. I mean, it's in all the realms of life that we have to deal with this thing, of walking by the Spirit, or are we going to walk in the flesh? 
So am I walking by the Spirit? Am I working by the Spirit? And as you do that, you need to remember one other thing here in this text. In your outline, you have an appointment at the judgment seat of Christ. You have an appointment at the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 5, For each one will bear his own load. I think the King James says there, burden. You have a judgment, uh, appointment at the judgment seat of Christ. For each one will bear his own load. That word load is New American Standard, but King James it is burden. is a different Greek word than the one translated burdens up in verse 2. That heavy load here. This word in verse 5 means a light pack. A very, like a, like a backpack. And it's the very same word that Jesus used, by the way, in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30. So let me share that with you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, or from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Almost sounds like what he's telling us to do in Galatians 6, 1 through 5. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden, there's the same word, my burden is light. The Lord calls you to come to Him and place yourself under His yoke and pull together and serve Him with your life as you abide in Him and walk by the Spirit. He will bear your burden, whatever that burden might be that He places upon you. Whatever that call is upon your life and your walk and your work. This call, this burden or pack, you cannot give to somebody else. Some people try that. No, it's yours alone between you and the Lord. He saved you. He gifted you. He says, walk by my spirit now, and I will bear that burden with you. And someday soon you're going to stand before him, and you must give an account of how you have borne that specific load or burden that he's placed upon you. Now listen, it's light. You know why it's light? This burden is light. Because you'll never stand before him and be judged for any sin in your life. I love that. That is so special to me. When I stand before him, when you stand before him as this is only for say people now, redeem people, he will not bring up any sin that you ever committed as you were walking in the flesh. What the issue is is a matter of reward. He will reward you to the extent that you walked by the spirit. I like what one professor of mine used to say. He said it so well. He said, you're determining right now your capacity for glorifying Jesus Christ throughout all eternity by how you live here on earth. So your capacity. Here's the apostle Paul. He is a 5,000-watt bulb. Man, he shines, right? And then here comes some Christian that never learned how to walk by the Spirit, was always walking in the flesh. Oh, they might have been pastors. They might have been doing Christian work. And they get up there and they're only a five-watt ball because that's all the capacity that they let the Lord develop because they would not walk by the Spirit. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, in the last chapter, Revelation twenty-two twelve. Jesus said this to you and me. Behold, I am coming quickly. That means when it happens, it's going to be swift. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. So Paul in Galatians 6, 5 reminds us that we have an appointment at the judgment seat of Christ. 
Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.10. You know it. Remember, this was written to only save people. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It's a time of reward, gaining reward or losing reward. It's not an issue of sin. Please understand that. But God says it's time of reward. You want to do everything possible then to walk by the Spirit so that reward will be incredible. And God wants that for you as well. I hope as we've dug into these first five verses of Galatians 6, somehow the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart and my heart and shown us just how important it is for us to walk by the Spirit and let Him use us in each other's life to help each other walk by that Spirit. I've taken for this Galatians series, Galatians 5.25, I want you to look at that as the title for the entire series. Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, that means He has made you alive. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And then, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. I hope somehow, some way, this has been helpful to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Galatians, we thank you for Paul, we thank you for our brothers and sisters, and Father, I just can believe that... uh, Uh, These Galatian Christians that were walking by the Spirit came alongside their brothers and sisters who got tripped up by trying to add the law, and therefore they had fallen from grace, and Christ was of no benefit to them in their daily walk. They were just miserable, struggling to figure out, how do I pull this off? And Lord, I believe we often find ourselves in that same place. And some are just saying, I need somebody to come, come alongside me and show me how. I want to overcome. And Father, this idea that somehow the old flesh is just going to lay down and and go to sleep will never happen until you call us home. But we can make the spirit stronger and stronger and cause the flesh to become weaker and weaker as we learn and we walk by your spirit. May that take place, we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen.